Hello, and welcome to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast, produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I'm your host, Mike Jefferson. Thank you for joining us as we talk with community leaders from across Greater Des Moines who share their greatest accomplishments and their biggest challenges. Now more than ever during these trying times of the COVID-19 pandemic, leadership remains crucial to the strength and resilience of our region. Let's hear from today's leader. I'm joined today by Ambassador Ken Quinn, President Emeritus of the World Food Prize. Ken, thank you for taking the time to join us today. No, I'm pleased to do it. I have great admiration for the partnership. And we appreciate that. To kind of get started, uh, we're meeting actually for the the first time today too. So uh, tell me and the folks that are listening out there, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I think most people in uh, Des Moines and Iowa know me from my leadership of the World Food Prize over the past 20 years, working with Dr. Norman Borlaug, John Ruan, the Ruan family. Uh, But uh, before that, I had a 32-year career in the U.S. State Department as a Foreign Service Officer. And during that entire uh, three-decade-long uh, career, I had a numerous, numerous uh, times when I was involved with crisis management, emergency management. It's a thread that runs through my career. started uh, with my service in Vietnam uh, in combat situations, there. When I left there, I went to the National Security Council at the White House, dealing with the collapse of uh, the war in South Vietnam and uh, months, indeed years, of refugee assistance. I was on the staff of Governor Bob Ray in the late 70s. I was the emergency coordinator in his office, dealing with tornadoes that uh, devastatingly struck the state prison riots at Fort Madison, uh, the security for the uh, historic visit of Pope John Paul II. I went back to the State Department in the uh, mid-80s when international terrorism was really just beginning, and I worked on the State Department's crisis um, response structure, dealing with things like the hijacking of TWA 847, the uh, hijacking and murder of Americans on the ship, the Achille Lauro. Um, I used to do the training of American ambassadors about to go out to their post on how you do emergency and crisis management. Probably the two biggest events in my foreign service career were when I was the deputy ambassador in the Philippines dealing with uh, the biggest uh, and most significant terrorist uh, actions taken against the American embassy, American official Americans being shot in the streets. Uh, I was number two on the uh, list to be assassinated by the new people's army. Uh, We had thousands and thousands of American citizens to protect. And then as ambassador to Cambodia, when my embassy had no Marine security guards my ambassador's residence was uh, rocketed with my wife and three children in there. And as it, our house was ringed in automatic weapons fire, my wife and I covered our children with our bodies while I'm on the radio. I have a radio in one hand giving orders to our warden system to alert all the Americans in the country to take cover and a radio in my other hand talking to the state department. So, um, 
out of out of all of those uh, experiences, I came up, you know, with a with a list of nine or ten things that I used to tell ambassadors about in training for them about how do you deal with uh, a challenging situation when lives are at stake and that can last over uh, a significant period of time. So that's uh, that's my background uh, in. Uh, my 52 years of involvement in foreign affairs. Wow. So to say that you've seen it all, done it all, been involved in it all is, is no stretch of the imagination in, in any way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, hearing that first and foremost, thank you for putting yourself in out there, um, to be involved in those things. Uh, that's, well, that's, that's kind of you to say that, you know, there's a lot of talk about state department and, uh, these days, uh, I just want people to know that there are a lot of officer, career officers like me. We we work for whoever the American people have elected and put him uh, in uh, constitutionally in charge of our government. Secretary, I work with secretaries of state from both parties, and all of foreign service officers are out on the front lines protecting American citizens. That was our most important um, role. And, you know, in Cambodia, we evacuated every American citizen from, from the country. And again, with an embassy that was the most vulnerable uh, in the world and with no Marine security guards. So I've been in a a lot of shaky situations. You know, when I, uh, signed up to be a diplomat when I was 26 years old. I had this vision of going off to London and Paris and Vienna and drinking uh, aperitifs <laughs> at, you know, re- fancy receptions right. in uh, chandeliered ballrooms and 19th century buildings. And instead they sent me to Vietnam in the middle <laughs> of the war. Uh, and I was out in villages and running around fighting the Viet Cong. Wow, that's 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 amazing. So, and and with some of that, um, what are what are some of the ways that throughout these obviously different with through some of these different roles that you've had, how are some ways that you've led your teams through some of these situations that you know to the average person that may be listening would seem impossible to overachieve to achieve how did you lead your teams through those things well the lessons i learned were most organizations are not structured to deal with crises uh civilian organizations in an embassy is designed to do diplomatic business and so what you had to do right away was number one, internally, you had to reorganize yourself. So we would set up kind of a command center where, and we would bring individuals representing every agency. You know, American embassies are filled with agencies, Treasury Department, intelligence services, military, um, and we'd bring them all to the table and make sure that we were having a fully coordinated, we have every voice, every organization, all at the table at the same time. Um, We would have, make it absolutely clear to everyone 
what's the chain of command? Who's in charge and who speaks authoritatively? And then we would understand that there were different groups and people that we had to speak with and communicate with. One would be the government in the country where we were. Another was all of the American citizens who were, who were out there. Um, then all of the American employees. We had like 5,000 employees in the Philippines, and, and many of whom were Filipinos. Others were Americans. Uh, and so you had to designate somebody who would be the clear representative of the ambassador and the deputy ambassador so that their messages were never muddled. Now, the partnership um, that, um, that you represent and uh, had a comparable organization in both places. Usually it's called the AMCHAM or the American Chamber of Commerce. It was so important to have a clear and strong relationship with the American Chamber with the equivalent of the Greater Des Moines Partnership. And when I first arrived at the post uh, at the embassy in the Philippines, we were told by the heads of the American Chamber, they didn't trust the American embassy and they didn't believe the American embassy had been honest with them, had been transparent, didn't tell them the real truth about the dangers involved. And so I committed to always being absolutely open and honest, never holding anything back. And, uh, and when I left, uh, I was uh, treated uh, to a special uh, dinner uh, by, the, by the chamber to thank me for how I dealt with them during this time of crisis because business representatives and business leaders in the Philippines were at as much risk of being murdered and killed as many of our diplomats were as I was right in that. So clear, honest, open and frequent communication was, uh, was so important. Um, another lesson I learned was that not to ask people to work for me to do anything uh, that I wouldn't do myself. So when American in Cambodia, when American citizens were trapped out in the middle of this fighting between these uh, different Cambodian factions who were making war, trapped in the middle, they called the embassy desperate for help. Uh, and I got in my car, my ambassador's car, put up my American flag and ambassador's flag and drove out into the middle of the fighting. To, uh, to get to them and to rescue them and protect them sometimes with my flag or with my, with my body. I had to be prepared to do that. Another lesson I learned along the way was that when the crisis is over, it's not necessarily all over. That going through difficult challenges, dangerous events, like we're facing now with COVID-19 has an impact. It'll have an emotional impact. It'll have an impact on your psyche. And you have to understand that there can be residual 
um, effects, personal effects. Um, and you had to have ways of continuing to meet and talk about the event to let everybody sort of unburden themselves to defuse from what happened. So an awful lot of lessons of crisis management. Another perhaps unexpected lesson I learned was about the importance of art, music, and culture during crises. So for example, I I had to, in Cambodia, we had to evacuate all my family and every other official American family, all the spouses, any children out of the country. And it was a very depressing time. And I'd come back to my empty residence. And when I came in, I had artwork from Iowa all over my official ambassador's residence. And I would walk in and I'd look at the paintings and, uh, and then as the fighting continued, the State Department talked about, well, we better, to protect the art, we don't want it to be damaged. We're going to have people crate it up, and we're going to remove it from the country so, so it's not destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all, you know, many pieces of original art. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that if I came back to these bare walls, how incredibly depressing it would be because the artwork, I hadn't realized this, the artwork was a great friend to me. Right. It was when I came home at night to my dark, empty house and I walked in, there was the artwork still there, the paintings, sending these various messages and stories about um, Iowa. And I, I avoid my spirits every day. Um, so I gave a lecture afterwards up at Iowa state on art under fire and the, the psychological uplifting power of art. And it could be music as well during difficult and crisis times. So we're fortunate to have so many wonderful arts organizations, art institutions in, uh, in Iowa and they play uh, and artwork and culture and music plays an important role uh, during times like this. Thank you for your, your insights and your lessons. Uh, I think we were connected telepathically because you answered pretty much all the questions I was going to ask. Yeah. Could I share maybe two quick stories? Absolutely. So the, uh, I mentioned earlier that in Cambodia, a, my house was hit with a rocket and fighting erupted and it's, ringed in gunfire, and my wife and I covering our children with our bodies. Thank goodness no one was hurt. So the next day, uh, I went to the embassy, and usually after something that like that happens, a message would come from the State Department saying, oh, was the ambassador and his family okay, or we're so pleased the ambassador and his family were not harmed. But the message came from the State Department said, was any of the art damaged? Uh, so, 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 so the lesson from that was I took and I understood was, well, you can always get another ambassador, <laughs> but original art is irreplaceable. So, oh man, I, I tell that I tell that story. It always gets a good laugh, but yeah, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the other story. Uh, 
and 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 you can decide whether the, to include this or not. It was in the Philippines, where we're we're in the middle of all these terrorist incidents going on, and there's a coup d'état against the democratic government, and there's fighting raging in the capital city between these two factions, and we had to be on 24 hours uh, alert. And so at night, the ambassador would go uh, uh, to sleep at a secure location. And I would stay in the embassy and be there in case anything uh, dramatic or anything important had to be dealt with. So in my office, I had a small bathroom with a shower, and I hadn't been able to clean up for several days. And it was quiet. Outside my office were these an array of six or seven young State Department officers, young men and women, who were there kind of monitoring the phones, doing the reports. So I said, ah, I'm going to step into the bathroom and just take a quick shower, clean up, put on some clean clothes, and I'll feel better. So I'm in there, and the hot water's running, and I'm all soaked up. And suddenly there's a banging on the door, and they're yelling, Mr. Quinn, Mr. Quinn, uh, General Ramos who was the minister of defense is on the phone. It's urgent. It's urgent. Um, he's about, he's surrounded and need desperate for help. So I grab a towel and I'm still all wet and soapy. I grab a towel and pull it around myself and step into my office <laughs> up to my desk where the phone is. So it's mid 1980s, right? You know, there's no phones with, uh, speaker phones or anything like that. Right. So I, and the towel, you know, it's a U.S. government towel, so it's kind of small and not very, not very big. And I've got it pulled around me and tied in a knot, but gosh, the knot's not so cure. I'm kind of holding it with one hand and holding the phone receiver in my other, up to my ear. So uh, I'm talking and he starts giving me these details about these, he's desperate to get certain kinds of missiles so that he can fire uh, and back at those who are attacking him. And so I, it's very detailed and specification. So I've got to write it down. So I, um, I, I realized I have to let go of the knot and pick up a pen and holding the phone in one hand and the pen in the other, write down the details. So here I'm standing behind my desk across from me are these six or seven, you know, 20 something young men and women, and they're all there with their notepads and their pens and ready to take direction. And when I let go of the knot holding the towel in place, they all start just looking at it. And the knot starts very slowly <laughs> under the pressure of my movement and my size to sort of slowly come like it's going to open up. And, and when that happens, the towel's going to fall to the floor and I'll be standing there um, with uh, still wet and dripping. And I, I realized to myself that when that occurred, uh, I was about to become a legend in the State Department <laughs> Foreign Service. The question was whether I would be a big legend or a small legend. Right. Um, so I, I, I would tell the story um, uh, in my ambassadorial training program. Uh, 
depending on, on your view, fortunately or unfortunately, they're not held and the towel didn't drop and I didn't become a legend in the foreign service and we got the <laughs> missiles the general needed and, and we saved democracy that night. He was able to hold the rebels off. Um, but after it was all over, the uh, ambassador gave me a uh, present and it was a Velcro wrap <laughs> so that it would stay up no matter what, and leave both of my hands to, uh, and it, it had my name on it and it said crisis manager. Nice. So even, even in the middle of really difficult life threatening situations, sometimes there's a moment or two where, um, you know, there can be a, a, a lighter moment or, or looking back, uh, a lighter edge to things. <laughs> that's, a, that's awesome. That's, yeah. a, that's a great story. For those listening, I implore you to go back to this episode as you're listening to it now for the first time. Go back, listen to it again. There are a ton of lessons. And yes, there's some comic relief in there, which is great and helps move things along. But there are some really serious lessons in there um, that you're going to want to take note of, especially as we proceed through this uh, coronavirus pandemic Ambassador Quinn, I just want to thank you for taking the time today to share those lessons with us and uh, giving us, you know, some hope because obviously you were in some of the darkest of situations and were able to come out on top. And, you know, your use of art and humor to kind of help you uh, get through those things are, are great, great tips for those uh, listening again as we pursue and try to um, bring ourselves back to some normalcy in terms of dealing with this, this coronavirus pandemic. So Ambassador Quinn, again, thank you for your time and thank you for joining us today. Sure, no, thanks for having me. And um, I'm, I'm sure Iowans will all continue to pull together and we will get through this. Thank you for listening to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. To listen to more stories of inspiration, please visit dsmpartnership.com.